Good evening. I, I want to thank you for hosting my family and I this week. We, we've had a great time here with you. Food fellowship, trees bigger than in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Testimonies, volume 8, 27. The message of Revelation 14 is the message that we are to bear to the world. It is the bread of life for these last days. I work on a campus of about 800 students. And I've counted over the year, we lose an average of one student per school year to number one, car accident, number two, cancer, and number three, other causes. And I don't think those 20-year-olds get up in the mornings thinking, well, I guess that's going to be my last day at age 20, but it happens. And uh, we're going to meet like this again. We don't know. Every day is a gift, and we never know when the end is. And tonight's message is on the harvests, plural, and it's stunning to me that in the Bible there's a description when Jesus finally says, this is it. Enough. It's over. It's over. Sobering truth. Sobering truth. So I'm going to kneel and pray with you one more time here tonight and then jump right in. My, my sermon is in the back and I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I was impressed with something else this afternoon. And uh, still going to be Revelation 14, the harvest. But uh, let's just pray and... and uh, one more round tonight, huh? Yeah, let's pray. Father, you have given us life, and it is so fragile. And we thank you tonight that this, this morning scare turned out okay. All the children safe. We want to pray that our lives are truly in your hands, and so is our death. And so is eternity. And as we ponder the harvest tonight and our identity, I pray we do not walk from this tent without the assurance of salvation. Granted to all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 14. There it is, three angels' message. It's all over. Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, Revelation 14, 14, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Those are harder to use than you think. You ever tried one? Harvesting with a sickle? When I tried, it either went into the ground, or I went too high. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time, uh, the word is actually the word hour. It matches the hour in Revelation 14 verse 6. The hour of his judgment has come. It's actually verse 7. Both times the word hour is used. The time or hour has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. God must recognize in us sinners a moment in time where we as a group, saints, plural, where he says they've been baking in the oven enough. That they're ready. They're right. The, the word ripe is actually, they're dried up. They're overripe. It, it, we're in overtime. It's done. Let's, let's pick them up. Now, what's startling to me is verse 17 onward. I'll read it to you. There's a second harvest that you don't want to be part of. Then another angel came out of the temple, with, which was in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel. I think if I count that, we always talk about three angels' message. That's angel number six. 
the six angels' message. I'm going to have to copyright that. <laughs> the six angels' message. <laughs> Just on. Another angel came out from uh, the altar who had power over fire. He cried with a loud cry. I, everything in Revelation 14 is loud. Okay. Loud. We can't miss it. We had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. They're ripe too. Looks like with wickedness. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, gathered of the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. Blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. I think it's about 200 miles. Well, two harvests. Now, I had it all prepared with more quotes and Old Testament backgrounds and the book of Joel and Malachi and the Book of Matthew, chapter 13, all, all this, theologically analyzed. Real German, really. <laughs> but this afternoon, a question uh, bothered me, and I asked myself, how do those angels know which one of us is which? Which harvest? Sheep and goats. Two harvests. One is good and one is bad. So the angels come and they harvest. How do they know? And I noticed something in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 29. Same language as the harvest language. Mark 4, 29. When the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I didn't know until today that the three angels' message in the harvest is in the Gospel of Mark. And the question again is, how do the angels know? They come down and they go, and they sort us out. And some are in this harvest and some are in the other. And it dawned on me that maybe the entire gospel of Mark has a suggestion how the angels identify us. And I... I should develop this sermon and then draw the conclusion I'm going to tell you up front, I think. And then I'll walk you through it. I think the formula is rather simple. If we identify ourselves with Jesus, he will identify with us in the end. Watch this. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. According to Mark, who is Jesus? The Son of God. It takes Mark one verse to correctly identify who Jesus is. Matthew, by Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is just getting baptized. He doesn't start his ministry till Matthew 4. In, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is still a baby. In Mark chapter 1, he's identified as the Son of God. What's the next one? Mark chapter 1, verse one, 11. I think you'll catch on pretty quick where I'm going with this. Mark chapter 1, 11, same chapter. Then a voice came from heaven. Jesus just got baptized. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Who identifies who Jesus is? God the Father. So within one chapter, 11 verses, you got Mark the Gospel writer saying, this is him. Then the Father out of heaven confirms it. Now go to Mark chapter 1 verse 24. I'm going to start reading verse 21 while you're looking for verse 24. They went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as... Now, this is hard on me because I'm a scribe, huh? <laughs> not as the scribes, religion teachers. <laughs> now, watch this. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Amen. What better place to be than in the church with an unclean spirit because the church is supposed to take care of unclean spirits. 
I have found that I have chaplains, they come see my office and they say, would be nice to be a teacher, only teach a few classes, go home, play golf, and have the entire summer off. And then I have teachers who say, it would be nice to be a chaplain and only deal with patients and not with these students. And I have pastors come and say, it would be nice to be a chaplain or to be a teacher. And I have teachers who think, it would be nice to be a pastor, not deal with students. There is no green or grass on any side of the fence. If there is green or grass on the other side of the fence, it's time to water your own lawn. <laughs> but not in California because you're preserving water. But I found those unclean spirits, they show up in class, in schools, in hospitals, in churches. They're all over. And they show up in church. Great controversy. Saying, let us alone, what have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth. Now listen to the next thing they say. Did you come to destroy us? Now wait a minute. If I told you that maybe tonight Jesus will physically show up, and if he does, be careful. Watch out. Because if Jesus comes, he's going to get you. That is a false identification of Jesus Christ. So now we've got a pattern here. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark identifies who Jesus is. Mark chapter 1, verse 11, the Father identifies correctly who Jesus is. It says, that's my son. By the way, that, that offering, that's my boy. And then you have unclean spirits incorrectly identifying who Jesus is. And I think Mark is making an appeal. That has to be fixed. By the way, where did they get the idea from that if they ever run into Jesus, watch out. He's going to destroy you. That must be from Satan himself. Okay, that's, that's false theology. And uh, Jesus only says one thing, red ink. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. One line. The unclean spirit had convulsed, great controversy. You know, bad news doesn't like good news. They fight. But the good news wins. Cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed. So now we got Mark identifying Jesus, the Father identifying Jesus, unclean spirits identifying Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 7. I already mentioned that in another sermon, but you might have not been here. Mark 2, verse 7. In New King James, King James, the word man in Mark 2, verse 7 is italicized. That means it's not in the original Greek. It's supplied for clarity. So really, it reads like this. The Pharisees, sitting in the front pew, they say, why does this? Who's Jesus? Well, this. <laughs> that, that's, that's a little weak, Pharisees, but that's what they call him. So they identify Jesus as this. Mark chapter 5, verse 7. We got to get through the cross. So I'm moving pretty fast. Mark 5, verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Here again, unclean man, demon-possessed, he identifies Jesus correctly as son of the most high God. I'm wondering if Jesus making appeal here, if even a, a possessed man can correctly, correctly identify Jesus Christ, why don't you? Let's keep going. Mark chapter 8. We are marching through the gospel of Mark. Mark says in, in chapter 4, there's grain ripening and then the reapers come and they reap us. How do they know? I'm seeing a trend in the Gospel of Mark. There are people either correctly or incorrectly, but either way, identifying who Jesus is. Mark chapter 8. Peter and the disciples and Jesus, they go way up north to Lake Tahoe, away from Keene, Texas, the holy city. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. So <laughs> well, 
They're, they're going to mission territory. They're not in Jerusalem. Caesarea Philippi is way up north. There's an altar. I was there la- uh, three summers ago dedicated to various gods. The town is called Banias. Uh, the Arabs can't say the P, P sound. It's really Panias. Pan, pan, pantheism. That's Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus drags them up there to mission territory. There are no church members. And he asks them, who do people say that I am? And for once, now the disciples, they're in tune with society. They, they're probably a little bit on Facebook just to see what society says. You know. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And for once, Peter thinks and then speaks. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. He runs a touchdown, three-pointer, home run. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Do you see the pattern? Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark says, Jesus is the one. Mark 1, verse 11. The father says, that's the one. Then the demons say, that's the one. Be careful. That's wrong. Jesus fixes that. Then uh, another unclean man identifies Jesus. Now Peter identifies Jesus. Now go to Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Transfiguration. Right after Jesus identifies himself as the Christ, Peter confirms it. Jesus introduces the church and suffering. They go together. Okay? I have to tell my baptismal candidates, the church will help you the most and the church will hurt you the most. Yeah. Satan doesn't like church. And so the disciples, church, they can understand. The cross, they cannot. They fall apart. They get depressed. Jesus thinks if they can grasp it before it ever happens, they will fall apart when it actually happens. So he gives them a preview of the second coming, transfiguration. And then verse 7, Jesus is previewed in the second coming. Verse 7 A cloud came, overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Listen to Him. I hope you have moments every day where you can listen to Him, and everything made in China requires a battery or an upgrade or download, or is turned off, completely off. So again, you have the Father saying, That's my Son. By the way, there's only three times that the Father speaks out of heaven during Jesus' ministry. Baptism, transfiguration, and what? when else? At the cross? At the cross, the Father is silent and Jesus dies with a question mark on his lips. Why have you forsaken me? It's in John chapter 12 when pot smoking, inhaling, beer drinking, pork eating... Greeks want to see Jesus, and the Father thinks that is so important that he says, you're on the right track, listen to my son. That's the third time. Don't feel bad, most of my students miss that too, (laughs) even though I tell them 20 times. (laughs) Jump to Mark chapter 14. Jesus is arrested now. I don't want to mess with a lady in the pink shirt taking down stuff, so I'm targeting sundown. (laughs) Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Jesus stands in front of the high priest. Now, do you catch the irony? Who is Jesus? He's the high priest. You got the high priest standing in front of the high priest. And the earthly human high priest doesn't realize that as he's judging the other high priest... He's being judged by the high priest. He missed the moment in his life. Five minutes, solamente cinco minutos, and he missed it. So sometimes in life, silence is golden, and Jesus says answering is no use. The high priest is getting frustrated. Verse 60, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you. But Jesus kept silent. I wished I would learn that lesson myself sometimes. And uh, I wished 
Well, you know, there's software. You can send your email and it keeps it for five minutes and then sends it. So you got five minutes of cushioning where you can undo the send. I have to confess there have been emails where I could have used that software but didn't have it. But Jesus kept silent, answered nothing. Now the high priest getting really frustrated. He asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? That's a direct question, and Jesus answers. And what is important is how Jesus answers. It is almost the last red ink in the life of Jesus. The red ink decreases dramatically now as we progress here. We're talking about the harvest. And Jesus says, I am, but he says something else. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Harvest time. He is telling the high priest, the way you identify me and what you do about it will have an effect at the harvest at the second coming. Let me translate plain English. If we on earth identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, he will identify with us at the second coming at the harvest time. And he's telling the high priest, your Monday afternoon, your Tuesday morning, your Wednesday night, everything you watch on TV, every website you go to, everything you say, everything you do, how you relate to other people, everything must be done in view of the second coming because that's the final moment. You miss that, you've missed it all. Then we got the counter story with Peter. He denies who Jesus is and three strikes and he's almost out. But there's a thing called repentance. And Peter got back in, praise the Lord. We're all little Peters. Now I got to take you to the final one in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15, 39. Don't miss it. Mark 15, 39. Jesus is already dead. He just died. And there is a, I'm going to stereotype, okay, I, I, I don't judge. There's a pot smoking, inhaling, pork eating, beer drinking, tattooed, pierced, Roman centurion who does not read Ellen White, does not have a King James, is not vegan. I mean, he's everything not. He stands opposite the cross. Now watch what this centurion says. I'm going to start reading verse 37, Mark 15, 37. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. But Jesus saves people in his death. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, so... When the centurion who stood opposite him, not a bad place to be. Location, location, location. You remember that? Standing opposite of Jesus at the cross. Saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. That, that's Jesus. The centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. So now you got a tattooed pot smoking, inhaling, pierced, pork eating, Roman soldier, non-Sabbath-keeping, non-tithe-paying. Roman soldier correctly identifying who Jesus Christ is. And I think it's the climax of the Gospel of Mark. Mark is saying, if an XYZ blank Roman soldier can correctly identify who Jesus is, so can you and I. So what the Gospel of Mark is doing, I think, is establishing the motto, the axiomatic truth, saying if on earth you identify who Jesus is, he will identify who you are when he's coming back. I learned this identification thing the hard way. Have you ever made a mistake in your life? Okay, so I can tell this story. Before the wall came down in, in East Germany, 
Uh, we've, we've crossed the border, East Germany, many times. My mom came from the East. My dad had family in, in Berlin. And you had to go through the red zone, Soviet-controlled territory. No problem, passport, stamp, money, and you cross the border. Well, the rule is if you get off the freeway and visit somebody and stay overnight, you have to register with the local East German Communist Police Department. Six months before the wall came down, I went to visit a friend that I uh, made at um, Lutheran Seminary. And uh, I had my passport. I arrived Friday, Friday evening, Sabbath. I did not go to the police department to register. Sabbath, I went to church. They had church, sort of, under communism. Uh, I didn't go to the police department. Sabbath, Sunday, I went to the police department to register. Now, Americans, listen to this. The police department was closed for the weekend. Because if you do something stupid under communism, they shorten you about by 12 inches rather quickly. <laughs> Police department closed for the weekend. Nobody there. So my train left on Monday, so I was not registered in my passport. I got on the train. The train slowed down towards the border. Barbed wire fences, walls, trenches, anti-tank crosses, German shepherd dogs. I don't know if the dogs were East or West German, but they were German. <laughs> and the train stopped. Big guys with Galashnikovs came on the train, asked for my passport. I handed it to them. They slow motion looked through my passport, looked at me. And then they looked through the passport a second time, and I thought, this is not good. He said, Mr. Sorky, did you register with the authorities for your stay in the German Democratic Republic? I said, no, and I tried to explain off the train. Uh, I got off the train. They took all my stuff. They put me in a room with video cameras in each corner for three hours. No bathroom, no water, no anything. They just left me there, door locked. Finally, somebody came and said, we would like to interview you. That's a loose term for interrogation. <laughs> they said, Mr. Sorge, what were you doing in the German Democratic Republic? They were really proud of this German Democratic Republic. Little did they know six months later. <laughs> I said, I visited a friend. Um, they got the address, the poor guy. I, no telling what they did with him. They took all my money. And uh, finally, after a while, they, they must have made phone calls or something. And I checked out, okay. Uh, they said, there's a train coming in 20 minutes. Now, notice my use of the English tense. works in German as well. You will get on this train. And they were not prophets, I don't think. Uh, in grammar, they call that the imperatival use of the future tense. You will get on that train. And they said, Mr. Sorke, don't ever do that again. You come to our country, you register. I said, yes, sir. I got on the train and made it back to West Germany just fine. The problem is, um, have you ever made the same mistake twice in your life? <laughs> I spoke at a graduation in South Texas, and uh, I, I was German citizen, green card, all legal, but I didn't know they have a border checkpoint in the United States, 50 miles north of the Mexican border. Well, we drove right through that on the way to South Texas Christian Academy. I did my graduation thing. Um, we went home. And 30, 50 miles north of the Mexican border, there's a checkpoint. And sure enough, I never get a warning. I <laughs> we get pulled over. We have to stop. The guy asks, are you all American citizens? 
My wife said, we are, he's not. <laughs> we, we are still married. <laughs> we stay in the same cabin over there. <laughs> he said, uh, passport? Uh, I said, that's at home in Dallas. He said, green card? I said, that's at home in Dallas, too. <laughs> He, he was not so amused. He said, you need to carry that with you. Uh, what were you doing down there? I said, graduation. Luckily, the, the van I rented from the university had a sticker on the side, Southwestern Adventist University. He believed my identity, and he let me go back to where I belonged. Huh? The problem is, have you ever made the same mistake three times? <laughs> the third one was not so good, I think, for the three strikes you're out. I was in Israel. And I was over there five weeks, love it over there, dry heat, 95 degrees, traipsing all over the place, thousands of pictures. You want to see them all? <laughs> Next time. But it's our last day, and most of the group from Andrews and the BI, the GC, and all them had already left, but there was a little group left at the hotel waiting for our shuttle at 11.30 a.m. Now, the whole group stayed at the hotel, but I thought I still had a list after five weeks of stuff I hadn't seen. There's so much to see. And I was not going to waste seven hours in a hotel when I can see stuff on my list. And I went down my list. Uh, we had spent a semester in Jerusalem in, in 95, and I wanted to go back to the tomb of Lazarus. And uh, that seemed reasonable, the distance and all that, because of pressure of time. I found a Jewish taxi that took me to the Palestinian border. Now, understand, Israel is one country. There's no Palestinian state yet. But there is a Jewish-Muslim border within Israel that you can cross with a passport. It has a wall. It has barbed wire fence. It even has German shepherd dogs. <laughs> now, the Jewish taxi driver would not for a million dollars take me into Palestinian territories. He dropped me off at the crossing. He said, you're on your own, buddy. And I found an, uh, an Arab-Palestinian taxi driver on the other side waiting for cross crossovers. I got in. We crossed over just fine. I found the tomb of Lazarus. Um, I walked in. These are not cemetery tombs like in the United States or Germany. These are caves. We don't know if it is the tomb of Lazarus, but it's like it, so no problem. And I walked in. I pretended to be dead, and I walked out alive, <laughs> just myself. And um, I looked around, took pictures, talked to the Christian Syrian lady selling spikenard and, and myrrh and frankincense. And, and then I said, where's the taxi stand to get back to the Jewish side of Jerusalem? She said, no taxi will take you over there. It is 9.50. The shuttle to the airport leaves at 11.30. I said, okay, how, how do I get back across? She said, the only chance, uh, it's too far to walk, would be the local bus. So where is that? She, she showed me where that is. The problem was seven shekels, really cheap, but the problem was it stops at every falafel stand there is. And every street corner has a falafel stand. I also saw a huge, beautiful mosque with a sign built by Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I go into mosques, make friends with the leader. They feed me Saudi Arabian dates and all that. But um, we finally got to the border crossing. The little Arab bus stops. The soldiers come aboard and they check everybody's paperwork. And then they come to me. These are Israel Jewish soldiers, breastplate, boots, armored, 
machine guns, several of them, huge guys, six foot four, and, and one girl soldier, and, sh and she got me and said something uh, Jewish, and I thought it might be better at that moment to be American than German. I, I had dual citizenship by then, and I said, I'm an American tourist. She said, okay, passport. Both of my passports were in a safe in the hotel on the other side. Driver's license, everything, student idea, everything I had locked up in the safe because I didn't want to get mugged on my last day. <laughs> By the way, I'll tell you a trick. I carry, traveling in countries, I carry two wallets, one with just a little money, so if I get mugged, I can hand that over and move on with my life and still have the other one. Um, I, I said, I have no passport, it's in the hotel. Her jaw dropped to the floor of the bus. She picked up her jaw and she said, what do you mean? I said, my passport is in the, don't even remember the Ramada Hotel. She said, you, you cannot cross back over. You, you cannot cross back over without a passport. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you saying? Uh, she, she yelled at the big guy. Uh, he looked at me and said, off the bus. That sounded familiar. Off the train, off the bus. <laughs> now, I, was, uh, I had been five weeks in the Middle East. I was a tanned single male with a backpack, according to them. They put me in a place like the podium here with concrete barriers, took my backpack off, and just looked at me. And then the guy came and said, we don't know what to do with you. We got to call our station manager because you cannot cross back over without a passport. It is 10.15. My shuttle leaves at 11.30. 20 minutes later, a station manager came, full body armor, gun. He said, what? were you doing over there? If you travel as a group in Israel, you now get a tour guide assigned and they do not go to Palestinian territories except Bethlehem. They don't even take you to Jericho. I had to do that myself and, and other places. And um, he said, what were you doing over there? I said, I went to see the tomb of Lazarus. He said, what is that? Now, you got to identify Jesus on earth if he wants you to identify him at the second coming. I said, that is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I, what did I have to lose at that point? <laughs> that was my moment. He's called Azaria, Lazarus in their language. He said, Azaria's tomb. I said, I can prove it. He said, show me. I pulled out my camera. Murphy's Law. <laughs> you're not allowed, and they mean it, you're not allowed to take pictures of military installations. I mean, I was, I was in Murmansk during the Cold War 1984, and there was a sign near the coast, no photography. That meant to me, there's got to be something cool around here. Let me get my camera. <laughs> and sure enough, there were Russian submarines. It's the second largest Russian submarine base in the Soviet Union, Murmansk, Russia, way up north. The other one is Vladivostok. That was close to tourists, so we couldn't go there. Um, I turned on my camera, and the first picture that shows up is a military installation. Well, I'm here now, so, but <laughs> in, in the watchtower of that military installation, there was a person, and I said, jokingly, hey, that's you. He did not think. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think my wife came with me to Tahoe? Okay. <laughs> Uh, he didn't think that was funny. He said, delete it. I said, I will. He said, now. I said, okay. 
Now, he didn't know I had already downloaded the pictures, plus I have unerased software. Well, you can delete the SD card. It's still on there, you know. Only God totally erases your past. Microsoft, Apple, Google don't. But uh, the camera said, confirm. He said, confirm it. I said, confirm, delete it. I said, it's deleted. He said, next picture. Next picture, tomb of Lazarus. It even said it in Arabic, Hebrew, and English. I said, see? He said, next picture. All tourist stuff, archaeology, old ruins, rocks, buildings, Hebrew signs. He said, okay, I'll be back. He came back 20 minutes later. It is 10.40 or so now. He said, there's a bus coming in 20 minutes. <laughs> well, it was only 10 minutes. He said, in, in English, notice the grammar he used, you will get on this bus. <laughs> he said, I will talk to the driver. You don't have to get another ticket. That was nice of him. Saved me seven shekels. And then he said, um, don't do that again. <laughs> There's a harvest coming. That station manager for Palestinian-Israel border crossing trusted me with my identity. I had no paperwork to prove who I was whatsoever. But he trusted my identity. And so with two harvests approaching planet Earth, and we're not talking about an apple, orange, banana, or something harvest. We're talking about the harvest of people. Okay? I've harvested stuff. I like gardening when I have a summer for it. Uh, in, in, in Michigan, we harvested uh, raspberries. Nancy put the harvested in her bucket, the, the, the raspberries in her bucket. I put them in my belly. <laughs> well, we got a harvest coming. It's not raspberries. It's people. And I'm going to tell you something twice. And then I get over to the side, and there's a special music, and then I'm going to pray for you one more time here at camp meeting in Christ alone. Let me tell you something twice. When Jesus Christ can identify who you are, he will allow you back to where you belong. He will allow you to cross the border. When Jesus Christ at the harvest, at the second coming, can correctly identify who you are because you have identified him to fellow human beings, he will allow you back to where you belong in eternity. Special music. sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance, the stars shall applaud. And we- 
Thank you for that. I got on the shuttle at 11.31. <laughs> Skip Bell from Andrew said, Ingo, you're late. I said, looks like I made it just in time. <laughs> Couple trips back to Germany, I thought, I'm going to test the Germans, see if they're on top of things. I entered, <laughs> I entered with my American passport. And on the way out, I showed him my German passport. See, I like having two passports because in the time of trouble, that gives me a couple more options. <laughs> I handed the guy on the way out of Stuttgart Airport my German passport. I had come in on an American one. He looked at it, and he looked at me and shook his head and said, you're a diplomatic uh, corps. I said, no. He said, you're with the government? I said, no. He said, you have another passport, and I need to see it. <laughs> and once he could identify myself, he allowed me to go back home. You ready for the harvest? You want to be in the first harvest? You will want to correctly, lovingly, but truthfully, from this day forward, identify who Jesus Christ is to your fellow human beings. And the Bible promises us, if you do, he will correctly identify who you are and where you belong in eternity. Stand with me and let us pray one more time in Christ alone. Our Father, thank you for granting and offering us a heavenly citizenship. And I want to pray for that uh, struggling soul that is struggling with their identity right now. Who am I? 
stamp their eternal passport with child of God. Straighten out their book of life paperwork, I pray. That when somebody checks their records, they will be correctly identified as Christian. I pray that we gathered here in this tent, in the youth tent, people still working in the kitchen, that you will identify us for who we are in Christ alone so that we can finally go home where we belong. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for granting us that identity and that location, location, location forever. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.